Today's podcast is brought to you by Brisbane Pest Busters, servicing North Brisbane for domestic and commercial pest control. We recommend that you get your uh, premises uh, pest sprayed at least once a year, especially through the summer months to keep the cockroaches, spiders and ants at bay. Go to Facebook, type in Brisbane Pest Busters to get a free, no obligation quote. Episode 46 of Eat, Sleep, Run, Repeat, the running podcast for the average runner. We've got a uh, special guest in the house tonight who's definitely not an average runner. Uh, you're talking Olympics, Com Games, World Cross Country Champs, oh, you know, many international events. Welcome to the show, Peter Knoll. Thanks for having Ooh. me. <laughs> yeah, me and Pete used to train together heaps um, when we were younger. Run it. We used to uh, oh, just do all sorts during the school holidays and, and shit like that. Uh, with me and Peter been chatting a bit on social media and um, he's So, riding. Steve, what happened? Um, Pete made the Olympics. You didn't. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can get into that later if you want. But Pete got serious and I started drinking. And well, all through high all. school, yeah. We, used, we trained together. We are competing together. We are at a relatively similar level at that point. And then, yeah, you went off and went into combat sports and did all your thing. And I kept running. I had nothing else going on. Well, yeah. Steve, you did a bit of triathlon as well, didn't you? Yeah. Just, I, th- oh, I think I was over raced from doing it from sort of like eight years old. I think it was just too much, but yeah, that's just the way, the way things go. We were just talking offline, weren't we? About um, like the reason why you sort of stopped doing things is whether it's mental fatigue or physical fatigue or injury. Um, but sometimes it can be like we're, we're probably in a different league w- with regards to running that we don't compete at a high level on a weekly basis. We remember track and field back when we were younger, cross country, there was a race nearly every other weekend, and then track, there was a like track and field nearly every weekend. And so, I suppose yeah. when you get up to a high level, you, it's a lot of mental fatigue to go, right, I've got, yeah, I've got a win a heat and then win or just win it's a straight final win that final and it's a lot of stress on you mentally rather than us just going out and doing park run or going oh, but then also there's the pressure of expectation as well when you yeah and you do start getting to a bit more of an elite level where yeah people look at you and expect a certain result and if you don't get results and they 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 ask that question about what went wrong and might have just been you had a heavy training week but you always feel like you you have to perform yeah and as soon as you get money involved, you know, professional athlete, athletics or professional sport changes everything, hey? Like it goes from being a hobby that you're really good at to actually being a job. Oh, fortunately, I never got paid very much, so it wasn't a problem. <laughs> I always had well, a job to pay the bills. Well, that's the Kenyans, don't they? They're like the Ethiopians. They just see getting to be good at running as a, 
as basically as a job you know absolutely well for them it's a it's a way out of it's a way to buy a farm and set their family up for the rest of their lives if they can hit a few good road races in europe or america then they're they're setting their families up so there's a lot of motivation beyond just you know sport for those guys there they're doing it to survive one major um one major event placing or winning and you've that's enough to buy yourself a farm with some cattle and set your family up eh? absolutely that's a big motivation yeah i was watching one on netflix about this this uh, guy and uh um, i think he was kenyan and um like he was working for the equivalent of about i think it was about 40p or something for 40p an hour or something ridiculous like that about 80 cents 50 cents something an hour and you were like and he was just digging this he was in in a farm in a field just plowing it with by hand with like a you know like um i was just with the pickaxe i was like crikey no no wonder so many of them are using epo and stuff like that well yeah you have to look at their motivation for why they're doing sport we do it for we do it for health we do it for our own self-benefit and um, you know, bettering yourself, challenging yourself. But when it comes down to doing it, yeah, to to feed your family, you've got very different motivations. They're not they're not doing it necessarily out of the love of running. It's survival. Yeah, when we had um we had Aiden Hobbs on the on the podcast. Shout out Aiden. He was a legend. Really good, um really good interview that one. Um but he uh, he said Peter Knoll is arguably one of Brisbane's best best athletes ever so you're the sort of the guy that is not going to say that about yourself yeah, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily agree with that yeah but i've been through your um athletics profile and mate the the times are unreal and the the events that you've run and and placed let's, let's and do some times let's have a look at some best pbs yeah so i'll just race through some of your times here 1500 meters, 348, 63, 407 for the mile, 801 for 3K, 1343 for 5000 meters, 2928 for 10K, and then getting to your specialty event here, 2000 meters was 539, 3000 meters steeplechase was 822. I mean, yeah, half marathon, 64 minutes. Uh, 219 for the full marathon wow. I and mean, we can get into that sort of later you're obviously sort of finished your career at the longer the longer distances but i mean up from my memory when you were a kid you were you were really good and you're super um competitive like you just had that inner kind of animal to like want to win but yeah I, yeah I don't disagree with that there's always been a very very much a competitive streak in myself that uh i guess yeah that it helps for racing. So when you, I mean, the teenage years, there's obviously loads of like state champs, Australian champs and stuff like that, that you could, you could probably talk about, but when, at what point did it sort of maybe after your teenage years, you, you started making Australian teams and stuff like that. How, how did that sort of happen? Well, yeah, through, I came through a very strong age group in Queensland and Australia in distance running. So there was a lot of like I, I didn't get incredibly good results through high school. Um, like I was, I was a place getter at state championships and sort of top 10 um, place getter at national championships. So I was very competitive. So yeah, 
you really had to, it made you train hard and you really had to want it to, to excel at it. Then I went into university. I got a bit injured for a couple of years. And then um, that's when I linked up with my coach, Pat Clahesse. So in the, the mid to late teenage years, and then just started training under his philosophy and his group. And then just incrementally just got better and better. And then you start getting to a point where all of a sudden you start getting some results, then you start believing in yourself and you can just see that improvement. And as you just gradually get better, you just set the next goal, you set the next goal, you set the next goal. And then I mean, I was very fortunate. Ultimately that led to being able to compete at some international meets. So what was your first like um, Australian rep singlet? First Australian rep singlet was the World University Games in Beijing in the early 2000s for steeplechase. So that, and that was a really, that was a great meet because it was sort of that, that bridgeway point between senior meets, world championships, Olympics, that sort of thing. Um, and, also, and sort of coming out of the junior years where I didn't actually make any um, representative teams. Yeah, so you you're running cross country. You're you're good on the track, all round basically. How did how did you figure out that you were good at jumping over hurdles? Well, I was always quite a strong runner. I was uh, you know, I was sort of built a little bit more solid than a lot of the other guys, and it was an event that just interests me. That uh, seemed to have an element of risk involved with barriers that don't fall over so i was uh, i was i was just drawn to the event by that way and then the qualifying time for 5000 for the olympic trials in 2000 it was it was really slick and i wasn't quite at that level to do it and then i tried the steeplechase um and it just it was one event that just it sort of fit like a glove it suited, suited me you. yeah uh, it, it mentally suited me i like the the breaking up the race with the barriers i like the strength aspect of it i like the risk of it and the length of the event over that sort of eight sort of minute period just sort of agreed with my physiology. So that was, a, was that the 3K, 3K yeah. steeplechase, yeah. Because they do like a 2K, don't they? In a... Yeah, that's more like in the junior years coming up, they do the 2,000 metres. I never did it as a junior. Um, the coach at the time was very adamant that you don't need to put the body through that sort of stress and um sort of impacts. So I, ne- I really didn't compete over the 2000 meters very much. It wasn't until I sort of got to a senior level and just went straight into the 3000. Cause um, Pete's got his, um, he's brought his training diary up from, from way back in the day. I'll, t- I'll take some photos and um, I'll put it on the Instagram page, but your training is, is pretty like, it's as you sort of expect, there's lots of easy running, some hard sessions in there. Like Aiden was saying that they used to do like 300 reps and you'd set up hurdles in the outside <laughs> lanes and run alongside them whilst they were doing their 300s. Like, so is that basically how the training for that goes is just normal running and then also with a bit of hurdling? Yeah, involved. for my specificity, just when we did the track sessions, I'd throw a few barriers out. So, And it also worked well that if you're working with um, guys who probably weren't quite as faster you on the flat it, it actually brought us back together so it meant we could do the whole session together so i'd put a barrier on either straight and as the rest of the group's doing um whatever interval we'll doing that evening i'll just peel off go over the hurdle jump back into the how many in a, in a steeplechase how many barriers are there there's the water jump oh so, yeah there's 
four dry and one water jump per lap, seven laps. That's five. Yeah, so five per lap and seven laps yeah. of hurdling. So and those things are a bit different to the normal hurdles. They don't move, do they? When you hit them? No, they're <laughs> they're ninety-one centimeters tall and just big wooden construction. And, so yeah, and, if you hit them, you crumble. And how do you jump? Do you don't do a normal hurdle over them, or do you put a foot on it? I dry I, on the dry hurdles without the water jump. I'd I'd clear them, yeah. um, just straight over like a normal hurdling technique. Yeah. And the water jump, I'd put a foot on and then sort of yeah. you leap yeah. out to get as far as you can into the water pit. As you get tired towards the end of the race, do you need to, on the dry hurdles, put a foot on them or you still make them clear? Oh, no, generally I was able to make them clear. I'd only put a foot on them if I was uh, somewhat wrong-footed and instead of, I used yeah. to do a left leg lead. So if I wasn't going to hit with my left leg without stuttering, I could then just put the right foot on top just to get over without trying to break stride too much. How tall are you, Pete? 178 centimetres. Okay, so you're not like, um, I was thinking if you're like over six foot, then it would be even easier. But um, so Yeah, you think that, but the Kenyans are pretty short as well. So I was, um, if you can, it's more about just getting that rhythm. They're not overly high hurdles. It's not like the 110 metre hurdles, which are dauntingly high. As long as you can get a rhythm and a bit of technique, I don't think, yeah, height generally won't come into it too much, I feel. So sort of like around 2002, 2003, you must have started really coming into your, coming into your own. And, I mean, you, in 2003, you made the world champs. Was that steeplechase? Yeah, that's right. How did that go? So that was my first senior team. Um, so, yeah, I had done the world uh, university games before that, but that was sort of my breakthrough to make an Australian senior team. How old were you then? Um, uh, 23, around that sort of age. Just, sorry, just explain the qualifying process for that. Like how stressful, how many competitions did you have to do? Like how do you qualify for a team to go to the world champs? Um, the qualifying, well, the qualifying these days is a lot different. They do it on world rankings and things. Back in that time, it was... You had an A and a B standard um, that was set by the International Athletics Board. And then if you were, and then each country then, uh, I guess, used that as their guidelines to select the team. So if you could run an A standard in Australia and win the national championships, you're guaranteed a um, spot in the team, essentially. So the, the qualifying standards, the minimum entry requirement to get into the meet, and then it's up to your country how they select their team. And so you did both. You got the time and won the Australian yeah, yeah, that, that I think, oh, maybe for the that Paris one, I only got the B standard. But because I was young, it was my first team. Um, Athletics Australia generally will send someone who's on the rise in their eyes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think I, I qualified on a B standard. for That was in Paris in 2000. How many worlds did you go to? Two, so Paris and Helsinki as well in 2005. Yeah. How did you go with those? Um, that's drawing my memory back. I was, I never made it out of the, so in the steeplechase, it just goes, it's two rounds. It just goes heat final. So I never made it out of the heat phase. I think I was in about seventh-ish position at a, just trying to, um, cast the mind back. I guess one thing I was 
proud of at the time with that Paris meet. I, I ran an equivalent time to what I qualified with. So I knew I got the best out of myself and at least I was able to step up on that level yeah. and reproduce just getting what I was to that level to be, able to, to be able to attend, yeah, uh, compete at a world championships is just, you know, it's like. I think I appreciate it a lot more now than I did at the time. At the time, it was very, you had the mindset, you train hard, you do these races, you qualify, you go to championships. It's not until you sort of reflect back on it that you really do appreciate a lot of the opportunities you've had and just how fortunate we are to, to be able to do a lot. Like, it's not like you took it for granted at the time, but it was just very business-minded in how you approached your training and competing. Is it nice to look back now and sort yeah. of remember all those times? It must be, you must be proud of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I really miss it. I, I miss the training. I miss the, the racing. It was, uh, I really enjoyed it. And that's why I was able to do it for so many years as well. That I, I loved getting out of bed every morning with that purpose of what I wanted to get out of the day. Mate, it's like me and me and Fraser and a few of the other boys, we've, Oh, we do the odd track session here and there, but since I sort of got back into running, you go down to the track and even the smell. Yeah. Like Nudgy, you smell the track and you're just like, Whoa. and I've raced a couple of I've times at um, QE2 and it's the same thing. You're just like, Oh, what did we used to run on? Was it what they called it? Cinder, the Cinder track. Cinder back in the day. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah, Ron Clark's day where they were um, yeah. sort of dirt based. Yeah. Then it went to Tartan, yeah, Rakuten. And now Mondo. Well, they've probably got new stuff these days. It looks weird, that stuff. It looks like it's been raked. Then it had like a rake through it. It's like, looks like it's loads yeah, of Yeah, it's like, it. like carpet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's weird. But um, yeah, Spencer was saying the way they, some tracks are good for shorter distances. There's, there's, there's thinner. The, the stuff they use is thinner because it's harder, but then they're not as good for long distance because it's just too hard. You do a five ten on them. He said it's like, I think, uh, yeah, yeah. Harley Gebra Celesi was having issues with that back in his, his day. Cause yeah, they're making the tracks for the sprinters. And then he was complaining that they're uh, yeah, doing rounds of the 10,000 meters was just going to destroy his yeah, calves and he wasn't going to yeah. be able to back up because the track was yeah. too hard. Or I think Spencer ran in a race against Gebra Celesi, didn't he? Did he? Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. That would have been a highlight for you. Good over the 5K, wouldn't he, Spencer? Yeah. So, sorry, Pete, we're just bombarding you with um, questions here of things that you probably haven't thought about too much lately. But let's talk about uh, Melbourne Commonwealth Games. That must have been pretty cool to run in Australia at the Common Games. Yeah, that was an amazing experience just because it was, yeah, it was a home games. You were in the MCG. It was in a night session. It was packed out. So, it was an amazing atmosphere. Um, a lot of my friends and family were able to come down. So what year was that? 2006? Yeah, 2006. That's right. I was in Melbourne actually for work in a hotel and the English uh, Commonwealth Games track and field team were there um, in the same hotel, which is, which is funny. But um, I can't remember yeah. if any English beat me that day. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah so, no, yeah. That, that, was, that was just a privilege to be able to, um, to race yeah and, and it was great that you know my parents and were able to come down they didn't follow me around the world to watch me race so they were able to uh go to melbourne and yeah be part of it which was just adds to the um the experience 
I've seen some of the YouTube footage of that. Jeez, the crowd was loud. What, what was it like when you sort of walk out to the start line? Yeah, it's an incredible atmosphere, and they, I mean, and they were really they were, they were into it, and they were behind the Australians, so they gave you a lot of support. Your name's called out over the uh, um, the mic at the start, and like, yeah, you get a massive roar from just this enthusiastic crowd. It, they will I think, for the start of my race, they were, um the long jump competition was coming to the closing and an Aussie girl was going really, really well in that. So like they were just really getting behind her, but so you're just out just with this big wall of noise. And yeah, yeah it was a privilege. How about, how about the Olympics? You went to the Olympics in 04, was it? Yeah, that's right. Athens. Yeah. How was that? That was, yeah. I mean, that's probably the, I mean, if I look back on my career, that's the highlight that, yeah, everything as a kid you dream of is the olympic games in if you especially if you're a runner that's that is just the pinnacle so um i mean that's my proudest moment that i was able to get to the ultimate competition and so that was really just fulfilling childhood dreams was to being able to represent australia and be part of that kit hanging around somewhere yeah it's yeah it's it's hard to know what to do with a lot of those things i've got bags Mm. of australian gear that you know, they, they hold a lot of sentimental value, but you're not exactly going to walk down the street in them. You yeah. should get get like a couple of them framed. I do have a singlet um, framed by, or framed and signed by the track and field team, which, yeah, is oh, up at That'd moment. be good. That'd be worth a bit of money. Jeez. Awesome. Yeah, like I was just saying before, I was going to say that when you watch the Olympics on TV, you sort of, you see it for what it is and it's um it's so so good to watch, you know, for the couple of weeks that it's on. If you're a if you're an athletics fan, but like sort of behind that, now that I've I've kind of been watching a lot of the more like recent like track and field stars, like you know Stewie McSwain, Ollie Hoare, and people like that, and I've been watching them race preseason. See how hard it is to even just qualify to make the team. Like, how did you do? You remember much about qualifying for the Olympics? Yeah, well. Yeah, I was a very specific plan that I had with Hakla Hesse that we wanted to make the Olympics and we set out to make the Olympics. So we, you know, our, everything we did was structured towards training specifically for steeplechase and then making that A qualifying standard. That was the, that's the hardest part is making that A standard. Do you remember what that was? Uh, 824. Oh, 824 jumping over hurdles. What's your K splits for that? Just for people listening who are park runners. <laughs> 240s, uh, yeah, 248s, maybe 246, so, 248, somewhere in that ballpark. 247, say, jumping over hurdles. That's just insane. It's so quick. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't do it anymore. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can get into your. Um, you did get a few injuries towards the end of your career, but. Um, I guess that's just what happens as a professional athlete. You're, you're sort of running that, you're skating on that fine line of being as fit as you can be and on the verge of getting sick and injured all the time, really. Yeah, eh? it's sort of, yeah, you sort of, because you're by training, you're breaking the body down. So if you push too far, you step over that line. If you don't get enough recovery, you step over that line and that results in injury and or sickness. Yeah. So, the training I always did wasn't overly hard in the sense that any one session wouldn't 
define you as like that is an amazing session but it's the consistency and the weight of the training behind you and the consistent day-to-day backup which just builds that strength that you can then uh, run those times and yeah so even just to get through the training you have to build it up to to get to yeah. that level aiden kind of went over that and he said like it's just it's years and years of like slowly layering and getting doing more k's bigger weeks harder sessions like can you remember just say when you're in your prime like what an average week of training would be like how often were you competing and stuff like that uh competing i mean i'll do some local meets um generally not steeplechase i might do 1500s as sort of tune-up races and things like that always do cross country in the off season I uh, did the Australian Grand Prix series when they had uh, steeplechases in them. But training-wise, I was training every single day and twice a day, most days as well. So I don't know if you want to go through what a, what a week looked like back yeah. then. But, yeah. um, so the basis of all the training starts with our Sunday long run. So I'll start the week there. So that was two hours. Yeah. So I'd, I'd just head off into the forestry, meet up with the mates. So we do that out of the. We're talking. We're talking pre um, GPS watches and stuff. Eh? So you're probably not really sure of what sort of. Yeah, everything pace was. You're on, everything right? was just times. Yeah, I yeah. think we'd be horrified how slow it actually turned out to be <laughs> <laughs> if we had GPS watches looking at us. But it didn't matter. It was. We sort of viewed it as time on the dance floor. It's two hours on the legs. It didn't yeah. matter if it was in three minute Ks or seven minute Ks. You just had to be out there, get the work done, be on the legs. If you can run 240 something over over hurdles, yeah, it doesn't matter if you're running five minute Ks on a Sunday long run. And, and we're out in the forestry, it's twists, there's turns, it's up and down, there's yeah. big hills, it's rough ground. We did more track. We did more. Someone used to go and measure it. I remember when we used to go to Dean Gate track. So we knew like that once around the field was like a K. Um, and, uh, every now and again someone would get the measuring wheel out wouldn't they but yeah I mean, everything was measured on a either someone rode it or drove it or our dad would drive and set out different like that's a that's a six mile loop or that's a three mile loop or um and then the track a lot of stuff was we do two track sessions a week so you knew how many k's you were doing because you just measure it how many times you went around the track yeah i mean you can you can apply best guesses to a lot of that and but our runs were just time-based. So it was, you ran yeah. for a given time. You didn't run for a, you didn't go for a 10K run. You'd go for a 45-minute run. Yeah. Maybe it's more, maybe it's less. It really doesn't matter. You're still getting the same benefit from it. But that's just how we, you know, had to devise it in the day when we just had stopwatches. So long run Sunday. So there, so Monday, Monday was uh, considered a rest day, but that entailed a 30-minute run in the morning before work and then a 60-minute uh, just sort of floating run easy after work and then some strides afterwards just to open the legs up. Tuesday was again, just a 30 minute easy run to start the day. And then that was a session day. So then we'll, I did all my, or well, the majority of my training out at the university of Queensland. So there was a you know, 20 to 25 minute, roughly 5k warm up loop that we'll do. And then we'll do an interval session of some description, which could be three by one mile with, sort of surging straights and bends, eight by 400, hill reps, uh, or going out along the dirt path doing um, four by four minutes, different sort of intervals like that. And then Wednesday again was long run day. So that was a 30 minute easy run in the morning and then 90 minutes in the evening. 
And again, just, just easy, not trying to push the pace, just relaxed running. Uh, Thursday, session day again, 30 minutes in the morning. And then generally a little bit faster. So that's when we work on the, on the track. They might be, you know, two, three, 400 meter intervals, 800 meter intervals, something like that. Just a little bit. With your spikes on. Yeah, like spikes yeah. on and yeah. sort of getting stuck into the pace. So a steeple session I used to do would be um, so four or five by 800 meters with hurdle out on either straight, um, something of that nature. Then Friday. Sorry, you don't remember what your sort of 800 splits were? Um, oh, maybe 220s, maybe oh, something like that. Flying. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me flying. Flying. Oh yeah, that's, that's a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. As, uh, I've brought a training diary and I'm sure you can uh, go through and analyze some of the times. It's all written down somewhere. Awesome. Then on Friday, that was rest day, which might seem a bit odd for the, the general population, but that was just one hour easy. So yeah, 12 to 14 kilometers of just easy running is considered a rest day. And then Saturday, we'll do... The, we'll go out to the uni again and meet the guys. It would be the 5K, sort of 20 minute, 25 minute warm up. We'll do the Monofartlek, which is a, quite a famous interval session from Steve Monaghetti, which has been used from his days and still getting used today. Yeah. Yep. And then we'll do the 5K warm down. And then I'll do a 30 minute easy run in the evening. And that would probably generally work out. We're sort of using best guesses at maybe 150 kilometers a week or something in that sort of realm. What I'm picking up is a variety. And I think um, that's what um, maybe some of us miss a bit. We just go and do like slow runs. Then we might do one. Like for me, my tempo session is park run because I do a bit of a five, maybe a 5K warm up, then do that pretty hard and then bit of a warm down but then otherwise it's just all sort of like easy easy running but i know we're not doing track we're not track competitors but there's a lot of variety there um and i think sometimes that that might be what might help us just average runners um I yeah, think definitely definitely you... mixing up mixing up surfers mixing up environments i'm i'm really really big advocate for and, it, and obviously it's, it's geography, it's where you live. If you can get into the, into the forest where you can just use hills, that just builds strength. Um, mm. And it, it teaches, like you, you're moving your, your gait around, you're, you're developing all the small muscles in the feet and everything as you're trying to stabilize. So those sort of things really do help running on soft surfaces. But also I think even for anyone, if you, you've taken the time to go, get out the door and go for a run. Why not do some intervals? Like it's, it will take anyone's running to the next level. If you just think about it and go, okay, today I might do 30 seconds, 30 seconds on two minutes off, just, just in the middle of your normal run loop, just to, mm. to, to break it up, to, to move the body out of its normal rhythm. And I think, yeah, a lot of people will get faster if they could take things like that away. Having the discipline to do it, and it sometimes yeah. you just go out and go, oh, I can't be bothered. Just go around, around the block. <laughs> and that's, but you're still getting out and yeah. you're running. I mean, yeah. that's the basis of it all. So, 
and and it's listening to the body when when you feel like doing it that's when you you dig in it sounds really similar to what aiden and that still do to this day out at the university um i don't i don't think pat has his too well so i'm not sure how much um coaching he really does out there but it's very similar to what you're you know everything you've said is kind of what they're still doing to this day 5k warm-up track sessions there's a hill loop that he was talking about where you do the hills and yep yeah, yeah. and it's one of those things that it's it's a it's a tried and true formula this is like, producing um, good yeah, athletes Hackler for he got a lot of this yeah. from lydiard um he used to run with the new zealanders back in the day and he sort of he adapted it you know a little bit to his his means and his ways and then so that it worked for deke it worked for sean uh, Simon Doyle, sorry, work for Sean Crichton. There's all these, these amazing athletes who have come through doing that. So it's one of those things we can, yeah, why? If it ain't broke, why fix it? Yeah, exactly. And it's, a, and it's a really safe sort of training model because it is based on easy running. It's not um, excessively exerting yourself at high intensities for really long periods of time. So it's something that a lot of people can benefit from that that pattern and that's why they're doing it today it's just smart training isn't it clever training consistency yeah so mate um correct me if i'm wrong but you're seven times australian steeplechase champion which i think is still a record to this day yeah I'm, well if it's a record i don't know i know sean Crichton got a fair few of them as well so i, I, I won't i won't claim that as a record but yes yeah, i think grant rogerson was telling me that but uh, I was, I did try to get Grant's one of our old training partners, Nath. I was trying to get him um, on the pod today, but he's actually just away at the moment. But oh, too busy. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe next year we'll get him up here. But um, so after well, you wait sort till of... next year. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, once you sort of, so you were saying it earlier off um, before we started recording that you were living in the UK for a few years. Is that where you kind of got into the halves and the and the full marathon and stuff like that? Yeah. So um, one thing that made my, I guess, running career a little bit unique was I always worked um, full-time, sort of nine-to-five job uh, while doing all this training. So I would go over to Europe to try and do these qualifying races in a sort of three, four-week period and come back and live and train in Australia. So... Around 2008, I thought I'd do it the opposite way where I moved over to the UK where I could base, I based out of London. So I could live in Europe. I could do a lot more European racing and then I could just come back for the Australian domestic season for the couple of weeks. Who was who you training with over there? Like what, was there a club you joined or? Um, well, Mick Bido had his, the Melbourne Track Club and Craig Mottram were over there at those times. And then uh, Andy Badley had his, his group out there, which I worked in, I think Andy Hobdell was their coach that I worked in a lot with as well. Um, yeah, and all great, all great guys. And this is all still while getting advised by Pat, but I'd jump into those other guys' sessions and just let him know what we're doing and then we'll structure the rest of the week around that. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that took me to the UK just to give myself a lot more exposure to uh, European racing. And then... Well, yeah, the season ends over there and then you've got all these, like that whole great run series and amazing opportunities to go and race all over the UK. So that's when I started doing some of the longer road running, which uh, yeah, 
Great North was the Great North Run was one of them, which is amazing experience. Just an enormous race, and really popular over there, and just great to be part of. And yeah, it didn't didn't go too badly at my first attempt, and then thought from there that I'd pursue a little bit more through the through those winter months as well. Just do a little bit more longer based work. Only London Marathon. What year was that? That's challenging my memory as well, but I was over in the UK between sort of 2008 to 10. So yeah. in that, yeah, around, around that period of time. And how did you find the London? It was, it was a fantastic experience uh, living and training over there. One of my proudest things I can say is I never missed a day because of bad weather. Yeah. So it's like you, can, <laughs> you get thrown some challenges. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Training in London. So I was, I specifically, Chose where I lived and where I worked in relation yeah. to parks where I could train in. So I was, uh, I could run around Clapham Common in the mornings and then I worked at the Royal Free Hospital so I could go to Hampstead Heath and train in the evenings. Oh, yeah. yeah. So um, the London Marathon, is that uh, where you got a PB or? No, so that was my debut marathon and I was in. I was really looking forward to that. I really That's a great it. marathon to do your debut marathon, though, the London Marathon. Oh, I mean, <laughs> it was a little epic. bit surreal. Like, kid from Australia, and then I'm on the starting line next to, to Desi, a world record holder for the half marathon. You sort of just look around and look at the company you're around. And it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty ins- inspirational. So I was, in, I was in really good shape. I, I really enjoyed the marathon training, and it sort of agreed with me. And then... Yeah, as marathons came, they just throw up all sorts of curveballs along the way. It's two hours for something to go wrong. And I had an absolute shocker. I was uh, <laughs> just got really bad stomach cramps and stitches sort of through 10 mile. Um, through halfway, we ran past the Meat Hotel and I was just looked across and was about to step <laughs> off the course and just go, go and find my room. <laughs> and then you, then you go through all the bargaining with yourself. And I was just like, okay, I've signed on for this marathon. I'm going to finish. Like I'll finish and I'll just never do this to myself again. It doesn't agree with me. <laughs> so I battled on and I didn't run anywhere near the level I wanted to run. I was, yeah, one of the most guttering races I guess I ever did just because I had a lot of, a lot of hope and expectation and and the marathon's an interesting beast too. There's no next week. It's yeah. you, you put essentially six months of preparation to get yourself ready for one day. And if it doesn't go well, then come back in six months and try again. Where at least in the track, you have a bad day. You, you can turn up, you know, next week, week later and have another crack yeah. at it. But the, the marathon doesn't afford you those sort of luxuries. Uh, it's a, it's a brutal event. Mate, some people just can't like, um, well, Brett Robinson, um, he's actually just broke the Australian re- marathon record, but he's had loads of gut problems, cramping, and it's happened so many times. Like, they, oh, you know, I listen to loads of other running podcasts and some of the like sort of experts say some people just can't get it right. Like it just happens every time and there's, there's no real reason. It just yeah, happens. I think a lot of my, there's a lot of emphasis on, your hydration strategies and all these sorts of things. And probably one thing I'd like in hindsight, looking back that I overlooked, especially living in London where the weather's a bit cooler. I didn't really drink much in training. I didn't train my body to get used to taking on liquid as much as I should. So then, yeah, you're hitting these aid stations, you're taking on water. 
and it's yeah, it sloshes around and just yeah. doesn't agree with you. So there's a lot, yeah, lots in preparation, and it's a, it's a, you have to train your body to be able to handle those sorts of things as well. But then you made up for it, and you won the Australian Marathon champs in Melbourne. Yeah, that was on. yeah. So after I lied to myself that I'd never do another one again, I then you're all, then you've also got the the other competitive voice in your head just saying I need I need redemption, I need to prove I can do this because I I really did think I was in great shape leading into it and I was excited for it. So I, I wanted to go and get one right. So that's when I went to Melbourne uh, as the Aussie champs and yeah went went with a completely different approach too. I did a lot more training with trying to take fluid on and also went really conservatively i just set out to stay with the australians i'd ignored the kenyans who um sort of went up the road a little bit but um the goal was just to well the the message from pat clow was the race starts at 30k so you just have to get to 30k feeling good and if you do then you can then yeah then you're right to roll and that was a good day like complete opposite to london where i was running along holding myself back just going, no, just wait to 30K and then just wanting 30 to K to come so you could sort of get involved and then started chasing down the other guys ahead up the road. I then closed out the last 10K. Um, yeah, really quite quickly that day. It was significantly faster. Like a negative split. Yeah, it might have been offhand. It might have been roughly 32 odd minutes or so for the last 10K. Like, yeah, it was shit. It was a good Fine. last 10K, but yeah, was, I was dawdling the first. 30. Well, you you won the race, so it obviously all went well. I won the Aussie title, like it was third overall in the race. And that's so yeah, but oh, sorry, yeah. I mean you won the you won out of the Aussies, which was the yeah. goal, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's what I set out to do was to to win the Aussie title. And I'd spent a lot of years also being very focused on the steeplechase. So it was nice to, you know, try and prove myself as not a complete one trick pony. Something else and yeah, prove myself over another distance. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, like before we um we started recording, I was showing Pete all of the uh, super shoes. And um <laughs> we were I was saying, like, what did you run London in? And he was saying, Oh, you was at the time you were sponsored by New Balance. And he was just running in a pair of like super light racing flats. Racing flats in yeah, back in the no. day. Yeah. Make them as light as possible, thin as possible. Yeah, half a centimetre to maybe a centimetre of oh, God, I can old just... school EVA foam. And, yeah, you just crippled after running <laughs> in them. Yeah, that's what we were used to. Then We didn't know anything else. And then, yeah, I've seen where the, the technology and, yeah, like, yeah, Steve threw a pair at me and they'll, you, just given the size of them, you expect a certain mass behind them. That, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't there. Yeah. They're phenomenally light, phenomenally the, stiff. They're absolutely amazing. Now, the, just al- so the alphas, they, they, they do look so big, don't they? Because like, they've got such a big soul. But they are just... Uh, oh, it's funny, they put so much foam in the hill and they say, you know, like to mid-strike, mid four-foot strike. So th- I don't know if that... There's a, you know, there's a diminishing returns on if it goes above like 20 mil or something because if you're not meant to be hill striking there's all that foam in the hill which you're not actually making the use of which yeah. is um, yeah. but but i don't know it's, i think uh, i guess stack height also comes down to it increases your length of your legs so all of a sudden your stride length gets a little bit longer if you can put yeah. more foam beneath your foot you're all of a sudden 
you're two centimeters taller than you were well, they in, make, without them on. They make me 15 seconds quicker on a per K. So, um, without even, and that was like from like, what a couple of weeks before, before I had, I had ever had the alpha flies on and I was so running 15 seconds for a kilometer. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So good, man. The problem is, it's, is it's so tempting to strap them on every, every time you go for it, even for a jog, you're like, yeah, that was what I was saying. I training. Nah, I shouldn't. We've got to, yeah. And I literally, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to have to run my first marathon at, like my road, first era road marathon at five minutes, 30. Okay. And I was, I was like scooting along at five Oh nine, trying to slow myself down. I think I averaged five sixteen in the end, but that was just the, just the shoe alone. It, it made uh, 15 seconds. Okay. Like quicker. So yeah, we've, I, th- I think what it has done is it's just changed the mindset on what, what a time's worth. And it's, yeah, we can't really compare the year is anymore and no it's 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 completely changed the game and that so we can't yeah, brett robinson's run absolutely amazing what 207 like that's mm. absolutely flying but yeah i the, the sad part of it is we can't compare that to monas and deeks because it's just it's, it's yeah. not a yeah yeah someone yeah, would have done a pair of super shoes it would yeah. it would be interesting to see what yeah you know, try and doing a pair of dunlop volleys well i mean what what was deke wearing back in like yeah, the eighties. I don't know were they like, Nike. Those just so yeah. <laughs> it's it's nuts, man. The shoe technology is, and it's not only that. The it's the recovery. Like you, it, yeah. we should talk about your injuries as well. But like you, you know, you saying off air that you don't really run that much because you've just had so many injuries. But you're running in these shoes. You your legs just don't get as sore. Like. You feel better, like you know. If I run on the track, I wear the uh, vapor flies. You could do like mm. a really hard session, and the next day you don't really know that you've done it. I mean, not that I'm running that quick, but you know, quick enough to make myself sore. And it's the soreness isn't as bad. If that makes sense. I think that's why yeah. a lot of people or the uh, the times globally are coming down as well. That's it's that ability to back up. Uh, these guys can train harder and harder, yeah. and not have the I guess the physiological breakdown that they used to get. So then you can, you can do more yeah. hard work. Almost like using steroids, you know, well, it's, it's yeah. legal, but yeah, it's, it's essentially the same. It's the same sort of process behind it. It's the training you're able to do on it. So. Well, look at, um, there's a guy I follow. I think he's sponsored by Nike. His name's Ben Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Check his Instagram page out. Eh? <laughs> Ben Johnson, seven, six, three, and, uh, he's done six marathons this year and they're all like, I, I'm just trying to find, see if I can find the times for them, but, um, obviously he wears the Nike super shoes, but that just shows he's able to recover, get training and, um, not get the, not have the soreness in the legs, um, and be able to, um, yeah, to back up. So I'm just trying to see if I can find these times. I think they're all they're all sub three hour, aren't they? Yeah. Well, if you um, his actual Instagram page got deleted. I don't know why. So he started a new one. So the one that you're looking at is the actual actually the new one. But his mm. times went from like, like this is a guy who his whole Instagram page is just shoes. Like he just buys super shoes and takes photos of them and the weights and the stack heights and the you know all that sort of stuff and. He's 
progressed from running, say, like 345 to I think he's run a 238 or something like that. Here we go. I've got a couple of years. He did uh, 238, a 244, a 238 Chicago. Donna was 254. Grandma's Marathon, 258. New York, 251. So his fastest this year was CIM, whichever marathon that is, 238.11. In, and it still just shows you the photo with his medal next to the super shoe he was wearing. Um, but, um, yeah, well, how come he's, do you don't know why his first page got deleted? I don't know, but it was massive. It was hugely popular, you know, a few hundred thousand, um, followers. Well, he's got 101,000 now on that new yeah. page. So yeah, maybe they're coming back to him. So on yeah. the, on the injury, um, subject, like I sent you a video this week saying, what happened here? And you said, oh, <laughs> sniper shot me. Sniper shot me in the calf. I mean, the steeplechase is a pretty um, brutal event. Like, it's not uncommon to hear about injuries, but talk us through some of your um, injuries that you've had over the years. I was overall, I was very, very fortunate. Uh, the the lack of injuries I did get that, and I think that that also came back to the fact that I was a like a bigger built runner. I was a little bit more yeah. sturdy in that sense, a bit stronger, um, and clever training. Well, yeah, it's on soft surfaces and just trying to minimize those risks. I guess injuries I did have like through uh, my late teenage years, I had stress fractures sort of relate in the, in the shins relating to to increasing training and growing at the same time. So just sort of growth related things. And then otherwise like through the career, I was going really well until that, that that lovely memory brought back of the, (laughs) The, the calf tear. Yeah, when was that? Was it like 2010, something like that? Yeah, I can't specifically remember, but it was, it was a steeplechase. I think it was Zatapec meet, so it had been December, um, first meet of the season. Um, you had about a 50-meter lead, cruising to a victory with like yeah, one Yeah, I felt quite go, good. Right? Yeah, it was, it was about a K to go or something. I'd, I'd made the move. I was, I was running within myself that day, and then, yeah, just as soon as I landed the water jump, just, yeah. Bang! Just like it was instant, instantly felt it, and then just um, your next step, it was like, yeah, this is this isn't happening. Oh no! Um, yeah, <laughs> I, f- I found a bit of grass to lie down on, and yeah, you hear that? Sorry for myself. I'll put the uh, the link to the video of that in the show notes, just so you can see it. But you, you hit the ground, and the crowd just goes, oh, and yeah, you you can tell it's bad. I think that was yeah, and then it was like five months before I raced again, or something after that. It was uh. That was a yeah. I did a good number on myself, but then I also I also really wanted to come back from it because a lot of people do struggle with injuries. Like it's it's a really common occurrence, and some people are more have more have more of a predisposition to injury than others. And I almost wanted to do it for them to prove that you know that I didn't have it easy. That you know, like to to respect the process of coming back from injury, it's hard because you lose a lot of fitness. You got to get all your your strength back to get back where you were and then the confidence then to go over a hurdle again and you just hope that oh, yeah. <laughs> you hope yeah. the leg just hangs in underneath you and so uh, yeah doing doing the first few steeple chases post that yeah you just it's very um, nervous yeah, yeah you just hope you're going to get out the other side so you actually wasn't too bad then like injury wise that that was what was you saying uh, that was a 10 centimeter tear in your car yeah so yeah I mean, I had niggles, but and a little bit of plantar fascia trouble, which is 
sort of par for the course for all all runners doing that. Yeah. But overall, no, I was very, very fortunate. I just had one or two when I when I did injure myself, I did it really, really well. And yeah. Took, did it <laughs> took, took care of it as opposed, yeah, the guys who are, you know, sort of almost seasonally getting injured. Yeah. That um the female steeplechase of the we've got at the moment in Australia oh, is um Jen I'm trying to think of her last name because Jen Gregson. Yeah, she's, McKay's now Gregson. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. She um she ruptured her Achilles at the Olympics and she's just had surgery on both of them. She had the first one done, made her, you know, a bit of a recovery. And then um she just had the other one done at the same time. Like once that once she's recovered from the first surgery, got the second one done. And then uh yeah, so what would that be? Maybe ten months. I was checking her Instagram today. She's she's back, training hard. So she's making a like her. Um, she's going to come back and make a full international yeah. recovery. That's the yeah the motivation. Wow. She's just had a baby too, so she's um made her. She's bounced back super fast. That's going to be yeah. If she can come back from all of those, that's an yeah. incredible sort of uh, sense of her fortitude. If she can do that. Because I've listened to a podcast with Alicia McColgan. She was doing a lot of steeplechase and she like had loads of injuries from it. She broke a, she broke a foot. She had to have surgery on her foot. Like she's got a steel plate in her foot and it actually completely changed the way that she trained. She has to do heaps of cross training now. So her mileage is actually quite low. I think she runs about 70 K a week, but she does loads of cross training. Did you do um, much like cross training in your career, like weights or anything like that? No, nah, very little. Um, a lot of that came down to time that working, um, the best part of a full-time job plus with that sort of running load, there wasn't, it just wasn't yeah. the time in the day to, you've got to go to sleep at some point. Yeah. yeah. And then you can do too much. So I, I used to do regularly after my 30 minute morning run, I'd do a, a circuit, um, which might take like five minutes of sort of circuit work, push up, sit ups, just a little bit of core stability. Um, but that was the limit of the sort of resistance training I ever did. And I mean, that's like definitely not recommending that as the, the ideal model to, to yeah. go by that. I would be interested to see if I could have done a bit more, a bit more in the gym, a bit more plyometrics, if I could, could have got a bit more speed out of sort of working those um, energy systems a bit. But no, it's, it's big, big, uh, all the rage now, strength training in the gym. And I reckon it's helped me not get, so injured as an older. When we were older younger, we used to, in winter, we used to remember at West Sports Centre, we used to do like a circuits training, which is your basically your classic old CrossFit style, when it stuff. Yeah, like burpees, jumps, burpees, and, yeah. squats with the. Remember with the um with the bench, you used to squat down, and the bench was hanging up on a bar and push the, and then yeah. you just you jump over the bench like uh, box jump overs over the bench and push-ups and sit-ups and round in a circuit we used to go so um, in my mentality i'd just rather go for a run yeah i'd rather just get out the door and you know yeah. just go and go and run somewhere and see some sights than just hurt myself jumping over a bench in a gym somewhere <laughs> <laughs> so mate you've you've finished your career what what year did you finish your career in I do. When was when was London Olympics? Two thousand twelve. So I tried to qualify, and I was putting 
essentially more and more effort into, you know, like trying to dot my I's, cross my C's, do everything right. And then, so I tried to qualify for the steeplechase there. I missed qualifying. And my, my mindset was that it was sort of, I was putting more effort in, I was getting less out. And then the, that the body was slowing down and it was time to hang it up. So yeah, that was 2012. And, and then you sort of, like you, you said off air, that you didn't really have anything to do with running or athletics. Yeah, I, really yeah, I sort of walked away for a good few years, just which I th- for me was very healthy. It's, it's very uh, all-consuming when yeah. you, you run that much. And then I also didn't have that much mo- motivation to come back and start training because no matter what I do, I'm always slower. Like I'm, I'm never, ever going to yeah. be able to do that. I can go for runs now and it doesn't. That's why you need that separation that you can come and train these days and I wouldn't even know what a three-minute K would look like these days. Oh, so, but, <laughs> so you have no expectation. But but you, like, when we were kids mucking around uh, school holidays and stuff like that, you were, like, I sort of feel like you could have been a, an elite mountain biker if you wanted to. Like, you were Nathan... Pete was crazy on a mountain bike. Like I'm talking radical, like do the most craziest jumps, downhill stupidity stuff. <laughs> like how you never got injured doing any of that. I don't oh, know. There was a couple like Pat wasn't one to swear, but yeah, I rocked up to training one day with yeah. Grazes off all over my body. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and what happened to you? I was and and I didn't even have the heart to tell him I crashed at trying to jump. <laughs> it was, oh, I fell in a pothole. And oh, he's, what God. are you even doing on a bike? And yeah, he's, he let me have it. There was that, uh, it's funny, isn't it? When you do like with Colin, used to hate, um, used to hate me going. What was it? He used to fucking get worried about me doing. Oh, soccer. When I used oh, to play yeah. a bit of soccer, still he thought, oh, I don't know, it's a good idea, and then it's just. It's a, and then the Paul was doing skydiving and he was, wasn't happy with Paul skydiving. Oh, if you fuck your knee up when you land and all this. And yeah, uh, yeah right. it's true. Like, uh, uh, I think coaches, if you don't do something, another discipline, they're like, oh, hang on. Oh, I don't know if that's a good idea. You just stick to the uh, jumping over hurdles, but don't move. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you a little story. I don't know if you remember this, Pete, but, um, we were, we were out riding our mountain bikes on one school holidays and um, Pete was just crazy on a bike. I can do it ollies and jumps and just the maddest stuff. And um, we, he went down this like, like a vertical drop on this trail, like right along a trail. And it was sort of like, I don't know, a two or three meter drop down like vertical and then back onto the trail and Pete did it easy and he was like, oh, yeah, man, you, you'll be right. You just got to commit. You got to commit. And I stood there for about 15 minutes, like I'm in an hour and about doing it. And he's talking, <laughs> he's talking me into doing it. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. And I don't know what happened, but I just wasn't as good on a, on a bike as Pete. But I think you overthought it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I went down the, I went down the vertical bit. And as soon as I like the wheels touched the ground again, it just bucked me off and I like wrapped myself oh, around this tree. <laughs> and, um, oh, it definitely would have cracked a rib or two. And uh, I'm laying on the floor like, <laughs> you know, like can't, can't breathe. Pete's panicking. He's thought he's killed me. <laughs> we ended up like 
walking to a service station through the bush like and I, I couldn't even ride the bike. I was so banged up. <laughs> and uh yeah, just yeah, but how was, was the that, bike? That's that the was, important thing. Was oh the bike was fine. It it was me. I hit the tree. The bike just took <laughs> off. Bones and skin heel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I said to Pete sent me a message on um Facebook and said, Oh, I'm right into my um cycling now. You should you should give this a whirl. I was like, Yeah, no thanks, mate. Last time I was on a bike <laughs> with you on I'd nearly end up with broken ribs. But that's that's your new sport now, isn't it? Like you, you've been, I mean, you, I don't know how good you are. You're probably bloody elite at that. But you you do like velodrome cycling, is it? Yeah, yeah. So that was my retirement sport. I sort of tried a few different things. I did a triathlon. I did a couple of different things to see what would interest me. But it wasn't until I went in the velodrome that it sort of it sort of clicked and it felt right. And yeah, it's just yeah, unbelievable fun. You're still doing that to this day? Yeah, so I do that. I try and do it once a week. I compete in a few of the Masters events. and That's track. Yeah, yeah track cycling. Track yeah, here. so doing the endurance. Yeah. So like the scratch races, uh, points race, uh, individual pursuit, team pursuit. So yeah. I was, I mean, I was doing a little bit of training and you know, trying to do it semi-seriously at a, at a Masters level for a couple of years, which has been put on hold with kids at the moment. But yeah. I'd like to get back into and get a little bit fitter, that's for sure, and do a bit more racing there. Still a competitive instinct in me somewhere that just likes to be. And there's less impact on your hips and your knees and ankles, hey? Absolutely, yeah. Unless well, you unless you fall deck. off. That's <laughs> yeah. right. If you, you yeah. stay upright, which, and that's the great thing. Like, we're all masters where no one wants that. So everyone gives each yeah. other plenty of racing room. There's no sheep station. So it's, <laughs> it's just good yeah. fun. Yeah, I'll tell you what, um, what, what we should do if, you, if you've got time is next year you should come to um one of the striders sessions and take the session pick a pick like pick like a really interesting session that you used to do and um come down and we'll introduce you to everyone and they'd be i think they'd be over the moon to have oh, a yeah. former olympian oh, i have no idea who's telling them what to do it but yeah <laughs> but i'll happily i'll happily come down and set a session for yeah, no, that'd no, be, no dramas at all that'd be great so you're our first olympian on the uh, podcast oh well, thank you that's yeah, awesome probably the yeah. only olympian who will get on the podcast but yeah oh, no, i'll awesome. be able to give you some numbers of some other ones so we'll hey, fill it I, up you know i would um i'd love to have a chat to liam adams because he's like a tradie, I'm a tradie. He just runs massive Ks and he's still super elite. And I, I, I noticed online that you've raced against him a few times. I was thinking, I wonder if you're in contact with him. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, as I was sort of on the, I guess the back end of my career, he was coming up and he absolutely smashed me in an Aussie cross country championship, I recall down in, um, in Canberra at one point. But no, I, I sort of, yeah, I feel like a little bit of what he does resonates with me that yeah, he just, he trains around work and he's just, yeah, he just works hard. He, he's, uh, he's not scared to, what is it, at Com Games, he just lobbed off the front. Yeah, he's, he had his, He had his race plan and his pace in mind and he backed himself, which is, yeah, a lot of credit to him and the way he goes about how he goes. I loved how he sprayed his shoes as well. Did you see that? No, he he painted his shoes so that because he's not got a shoe deal. So you, so you couldn't tell who who um oh, who shoes cool. he was yeah. running in. He's not giving out free advertising, yeah. good on him. So yeah, you're leading a Commonwealth Marathon. Someone should be 
hooking him up with a pair it's of in, shoes. It's insane to think that like someone like him doesn't have yeah no major sponsor. Oh, but you can be famous on Instagram and then yeah. get sponsored, but you actually be a proper bona fide best in the country athlete and still can't get a shoe deal. I must, that's one thing I'm very grateful for about the year I competed and I didn't have to do any social media or oh, yeah. I think a lot of the athletes these days are got a lot of requirements to put, um, you know, a certain amount of content and things like that out there, which you know, that's, it's not my, it's not my realm. So yeah, yeah. I'm grateful that I was able to compete in an era before that. Yeah. It's like another job, isn't it? Like they've constantly got to post twice a day and, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I think back on that Liam Adams thing, um, I've, I've read somewhere that he was working like 60-hour weeks leading into Commonwealth Games and running 100 k, 180K a week. It's crazy, eh? Like, it's just nuts. Imagine if he didn't have to work, how much better he could be. And as a trader, he's doing a physical job as well. So yeah, what's, so that, what's that take out of him? What's the actual work day take out of him other than just time? Yeah. yeah he's, he's an electrician, so he's carrying like big rolls of um, cable around. And yeah, he's out in the heat. It's not like he's sat in an air conditioned office all day, is it? Yeah. Nah, it's crazy. Eh? Cool. Well, thanks right. heaps for coming on, Pete. It's been, um, been just good seeing you again, but great to hear all your old stories and stuff. I'm sure there'll be loads of, um, those are your old competitors checking this one out. Um, anyone you want to give a shout out to? Old competitors? Yeah, uh, any of your old, like, you know, <laughs> guys you had full on battles with? Oh, and... uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> they are. Anyone you want to thank? Oh, absolutely. Pac Lahesse is, yeah, like a, he was, uh, he, and he still is, is an absolutely incredible guy. And he steered me through my whole career and, uh, just an amazing, an absolutely amazing person, a brilliant coach, and he's got such a legacy. And none of what I did would have been possible without his sort of guidance and leadership. So now, um, now I've got so much time and respect, and he's so much more than a coach for me. So yeah, that's awesome. And he's still coaching to this day. Yeah, like well, he's he's not doing so much coaching right at the moment, but the legacy of what he set up, it's. Um, other coaches have taken on his squad and they're still doing the, like we've mentioned before with Aiden, they're still following the same, yeah, sort of the same protocols, the same patterns. It's all the same of what he established. So he's, he's, his legacy lives on with, you know, what, what the, what the next squad's doing. Yeah. So. Yeah. He's definitely um, super well-respected in the uh, athletics community. I mean, uh, probably worldwide, but definitely in Brisbane. I was at a track and field meet. I think last year and I could hear people talking about him. So he had an amazing string of athletes or athletes he'd involved in involved with making Olympic games. It was, and I, and I think I'm, I unfortunately broke his string in 2008 when I didn't make Beijing, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was, it was, it was an incredible, like it was probably every game since 76, he had an athlete or involvement with an athlete. And then, yeah. Wow. Sorry, Pat. <laughs> oh mate i'm sure he's proud of everything you did oh well, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you it's been a long time since i've seen you so yeah, 
mate, we have to go. We, we should go to a park run because I reckon I might be able to beat you at the moment. <laughs> first, time, first time I've beaten him in like beat, beat Olympian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you should actually come and um, do a park run. We we went through the. I was showing you the, sh- the super shoes before we started. Get yourself a pair of Alpha Fives, mate. You probably have no injuries ever again. Oh yeah, if that's if that's what it's going to take. I'll I'll be out of the shop tomorrow. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening, everyone. It's been a cracker this week. I'll and see Merry, you at Merry Christmas. See you at Park Run, Steve. Yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Thanks, Pete, for coming on. Thanks for oh, your time. Absolute pleasure. No. Catch up in person soon. Yeah, look forward to it. Close your eyes 